This is the Hope Church Mill Creek Podcast, and you're hearing the voice of lead pastor Josh Westmoreland. Hope Church Mill Creek is a church replant in the Hope Church family based out of Danville, Virginia. Our church specifically is in Roxboro, North Carolina, just about an hour north of Durham. Our family of Hope Churches has a total of 13 locations at this time along the Virginia-North Carolina border, mostly in smaller rural communities. Our uh, specific location has existed officially since January 22, when my family and I moved from Mississippi to lead this plant. We hope you enjoy this podcast and bring something away from it that helps you. If you do, it would help us greatly if you left a good review on Apple Podcasts or you just, you know, shared it. We wish you all the best, uh, grace and peace to all of you, and happy listening. So Acts chapter number 2, I'm going to do a good bit of reading, but I want to ask you first off, has anybody ever seen that movie Cast Away, like about 20 years old with Tom Hanks, right? So FedEx FedEx systems analyst, get travel all over the world, get summoned at Christmas time to go and resolve something in Malaysia. He jumps on a FedEx flight out of Memphis, Tennessee. He's going off, I think it's the South Pacific. And bad storm, plane goes down in the water, he's the only survivor, and there he is on an uninhabited island. These packages, right, I was about to say that, these packages are are washing up and, you know, he starts to open some of them. He leaves one unopened the whole time. And of course that, if you've never seen it, I encourage you, it's a good movie. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but the, the last package comes into play at the very end of the movie. But he's, he's stranded there, and he has no contact with anybody. I mean, this was a guy that was traveling everywhere and meeting people and analyzing and fixing, solving problems. And he goes from that to being on an island by himself. And so while there's a lot of character development that seems to happen, because he's there for, I think, four years is the timeline. So there's a lot of character development and there's something about being alone for a season that I think is good for just about every soul. There's something about going alone like you see the Old Testament characters retreating to the mountains and Jesus himself retreated to the wilderness many times to just be alone. Um, I heard somebody say this week that in a, in a church service that if there's, if there's dead silence, they can't stand it. And... There's actually a good point in that, but I I do wonder, though, if we're afraid of silence. Sometimes I think we need that, right? Um, Sometimes I think we just, we want the noise, we want music, we want people, we want something all the time because we're afraid of what might happen when it's quiet. But what does the psalmist say? Be quiet still and know that I am God. So there's something to being still, for sure, and alone. However, you start to see the slow descent into madness on that island with the character. And, I mean, you see, uh, man, every time I've seen that, and he takes an ice skate that he opens up out of one of the packages, and if you've seen it, he has a tooth abscess. 
and he takes that blade of that ice skate and he gets a he puts that blade on his tooth the edge of that blade can you picture that I, I just won't go there I'm just telling you it's 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 rough but you have to survive but he develops a friend on this island that's his best friend and his it's a little volleyball and something happens I think he cuts his hand or leg or something and he, and he ends up with his hand has blood on it, and he hits that volleyball, and there's a handprint on it. And then when he calms down, he draws a little face on it, and he names the ball Wilson. And he just talks to that thing for years and years and years. So I say that to say this. Without people, without a community of people, Similar things happen to us. I'm not saying we develop... I mean, if you have a friend at home and it's a volleyball and it's named Wilson or Bobby or Susie, I don't guess I'm going to judge you too much, but that's weird. I mean, I'm, well, if you have an inanimate object, you know what I'm saying? The point is, is that you know what we people need? We need a lot of things, but people need people. And this idea of church as it sits, of the idea that we need to move to is not check in, check out. It's, hey, we're going to be a part of each other's lives. Because that's where change happens. You think about it. The people that are close to you right now, you at one time let them in your life and you gave them permission to be there in your little circle. And for some people, that's a big step. How many, um, would you say, introverts are there in the room? You don't let people in easily. Okay? How many extroverts in the room? You're just a little butterfly. You just talk to everybody. Right? So for some, it's harder. It's like, hey, I, I only need two or three or five people. I don't need, and look, that's okay. But the point is, is that whether it's two people or five people, and even being an extrovert, I don't know that we really have as many friends as we like to think that we do. I think we have a lot of acquaintances, right? Hey, man, how you, hey. But as far as the people that really know us, the good, the bad, the ugly, how many people you think? So, I want to read to you. I want to get. I want to get back to that. But I want to read to you a good portion of this, and I want to talk about how there is hope. There's hope in community today. So, if you have your Bibles or if you want to look at the screen, it'll be changing, and Hannah is going to be wore out because she's going to have to change slides. Just like, you know, she'll have carpal tunnel by the time it's through. All right, Acts chapter number 2, if you would go there with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I try to pay attention if you can, because it's pretty wild stuff that happens here. And suddenly there came a, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house while they were sitting, and divided or cloven tongues as a fire appeared to them, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were in Jerusalem Jews, 
devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered. Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And here's how many um, nationalities. It says, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? Or aren't these all one race that are speaking this? How is it that each one of us hear in his own native language? And here's the nationalities. There's Parthians there, there's Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pont from Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what does this mean? But other mocking said, these men are filled with new wine, or they are intoxicated. That's a wild thing, ain't it? The Spirit of God moved in. There's all these, just, just imagine. Imagine if in this room there were Spanish-speaking people and there were Greek-speaking people and there are English and there is African and there are people that they don't understand English and they're all here in this room. And if I spoke out in my, and I am only English, and if I speak out in my tongue and everyone else hears it in their language, that's a miracle. And that's what happened there. Verse number 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Hey, men of Judea and all who dwell on Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. Since it's only the third hour of the day, which was 9 a.m. He's like, y'all, it's too early for that. Okay? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And here's a prophecy. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male and female servants in those days... I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I don't want to really go too far into this, but a lot of times people say the Bible is just a patriarchal book. And they say that, well, the women weren't valued in the Bible and in those times. Well, largely it was a cultural thing, but listen to this. These male and female servants, you know what that's referring to? They were talking about slaves. So he said, hey, someday I, the Holy Spirit is going to pour out on female and male slaves. People that most people don't even acknowledge as human beings, and yet God shows value to them. God shows value to the male, to the female, to the black, to the white, to every race. God shows value to the female servants. So remember that. Verse number 19, I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on earth below. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke, sun shall be turned to darkness, moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes in great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. Verse number 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God 
with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, you saw it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen to this. Peter, I can imagine Peter's pointing his finger at them and saying this, and you crucified, and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. These people, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these Jews, these high priests who proclaimed and said, we are of the law, we love the law, we know the law. These people knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all by heart. They knew the Psalms by heart. Some of them knew the prophets by heart. These people who said, we know the law, we love the law, we obey the law. And Peter looked at them and said, they were lawless men. And you use those people to kill the Messiah. And I imagine it was at that time Peter was wondering, I don't know if I'm going to live the rest of this day or not. Because Peter just points it out at him. But listen to this. Verse number 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not pangs, by the way, is like pain of like childbirth or just great intolerable anguish. Losing the pangs of death because, check this out, it was not possible for him to be held by it. How many of you have ever heard the statement that truth shall set you free? You ever heard that? Do you know that comes from the Bible? It comes from John chapter number 8. There's a section that talks about the truth shall set you free. Well, and really you think about it, there's truth even in that. How many times have we had something in our spirit and it's like, man, I got to say this, I got to say this, I need to say this to this person. And you hold it and you hold it and you hold it and finally maybe you're in the heat of the moment or maybe you're just feeling passionate or maybe you're just feeling bold and courageous and boy, it just comes out. And maybe it blows up, maybe it does, but how do you feel after it's out, after you've been holding it for weeks and months and years? How do you feel? Like a burden is lifted off your shoulder, right? Have you ever experienced that? How many times have we had needed to have a confrontation, we needed to talk to somebody, and we've just hold it, but then once it comes out, there's something to that. In this generation, we like to say that truth is relevant. And that, hey, you live your truth, and I'll live my truth. And that sounds good and it sounds noble, except when our truths cross and they interfere with one another. Here's what that might look like. You might say, well, there's nothing wrong with stealing. I don't see anything wrong with stealing as long as I don't hurt anybody. But my truth is, I don't believe in stealing and don't steal from me. But you go and steal from me anyway. And then you say, well, my truth is that I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I say, well, my truth is you're about to get socked in the nose. Our truths interfere. Here's the thing about truth. You can do a lot of things to truth. You can cover truth up for a time. You can try to put truth out in the streets, which is what happened a lot of times in um, tyrannical world governments. Think about the Soviet Union in those days and all it's like, let's, let's put this over to the side. You can be exposed to truth and you d- can deny it, but here's something that you cannot do to truth. You can censor it, you can deny it, you can cover it, but one thing you cannot do to truth is you cannot kill truth. 
What did Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the what, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. So what is truth? Pontius Pilate asked Jesus the same thing. What is truth? Well, in John chapter number 8, where that portion of Scripture comes from, saying the truth shall make you free, the truth shall set you free. You know what Jesus is talking about? Jesus is talking about Himself. Jesus is known as the cornerstone or the foundation of faith. You ever heard the uh, story of the, uh, oh man, how's the song go? The rains come down, the floods come. Uh, what's that story? Um, man, it's in the Bible, and I can't remember. The, the, on the shifting sand, building your house on shifting sand versus building your house upon a rock. It's in the Scripture. So the idea is, hey, look, man, here's a good plot of ground. I'm going to put some sticks here. I'm going to uh, put, uh, uh, put a beam right here and do this and do that. Man, it may last for a while, but basically what you have is a glorified shed not anchored to anything. And so when the pressures of life come, and they hit, and they will, if your house is not built on the foundation of Christ, what's going to happen to that house and everything in it? It's going to fall. So that's what Jesus is saying in that portion of Scripture. Build your house upon the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus Christ. So we are people of the truth. Next, look here in verse number uh, 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. And this is a psalm that people before had said, you know what, about, does anybody know that psalms mean song, songs? Anybody know that? So the word psalm means song. So if you go in the Bible and you read the word, if you read psalms, it's like every psalm is a song that they would read or that they would sing when they would go to the temple or go to the tabernacle. They'd sing this song kind of like we would sing, Amazing Grace, or uh, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, or uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. They would sing these psalms. So there was this psalm that people had thought, hey, for years, man, we're... we're David right here in this psalm is talking about himself and he's talking about God. And at first, it sure seems like that. And Peter refers to this psalm. But then it gets interesting. Check this out. In verse number 25, it says, I saw the Lord always before me, for He is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. And so they're thinking, man, yeah, that's that psalm. Oh, I know that psalm. Yeah, the Lord. Yeah, David's saying the Lord's at my right hand. And if I believe the creator of the universe and the sustainer of everything, the sustainer of all life, if, if I believe He's close enough to be at my right hand, man, I ain't got to be scared of nothing. Man, that's good. That's what he was thinking. That's what they were thinking. I won't be shaken. Verse number 26, Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh will also dwell in hope. Man, that's good too. They're thinking, yeah, David, that's a great song. I appreciate you writing that. Man, my heart will be glad. My tongue will rejoice. My flesh will dwell in hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse number 27, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or hell. Oh, okay, okay. Well, maybe, maybe David's still talking about himself. Maybe it is. Or let your Holy One See, corruption. Well, hold the phone. Corruption is like when the worms come and eat and your body turns to right, ashes. To ashes. That's the corruption. But the song says, hey, you're not going to let your Holy One see corruption. Wait a second. And Peter goes into this in a little bit and he says, hey guys, do you know that our guy David, our guy King David that we all look to, yeah, he was great, but guess what happened to him? 
He died. Well, guess what he didn't do? He didn't rise from the dead. No surprise to anyone. So then, gentlemen, so then, ladies, who is David referring to in this prophetic, you could say, psalm? Who do you think? You will not let your Holy One see corruption, and you won't abandon Him in Hades. Hmm. Who might we be talking about? I don't know. Maybe the guy that didn't get left in Hades? Maybe the guy that arose from the grave? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. And because of that, like it says in 26, because of this, my flesh will also dwell in hope. There, there, there are a lot of church names that I think are fine. Man, I don't... Church names are interesting. Let's just put it that way. You have you know, First Baptist Church, and you have this Church of God, and you have this you know, Catholic or whatever. But then, in the last 20 years or so, people have been getting pretty trendy names with their churches. Now, I would not dare you know, call out names like Elevation or anything and make fun of them. Um, that was a joke, by the way. But anyway, I... I, th I think sometimes in our attempt to be trendy and cool, we actually look really weird in naming churches different things. But I'll tell you one name that I can absolutely get behind, and that's the name of hope. Because you can do a lot of things to me. You can hurt me. You can abuse me. You can take away money. You can take away stuff. You can, my health can deteriorate, right? Our health can deteriorate. Can I get an amen? Right? And we can, we can lose faith in that, but hey, at the end of the day, guess what you can't take away from me? You can't take my hope. You can cuss me out, you can hate my guts, you can try to stomp on me, you might even kill me, but because I know this Jesus of Nazareth and because I can point you back to a time when nine years ago He changed my life inside and out, took me from a fake and a fraud, somebody who knew religion but did not know this living Christ, I can tell you I was there when it happened and I guess I ought to know because it's real to me. Now, it doesn't mean that your story is my story. Matter of fact, why would you want your story to be anything else than your story? It's you. But Jesus never changes. And because of that, we can be people of hope. Amen. Look in verse number 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, now when they heard this, this is the opposite of Cain's reaction in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. When God confronted Cain, those of you that are doing our, our daily Bible reading, you remember how we went through the Cain story? And Cain sinned, you could say. He made an error. And Cain's countenance fell. God came to correct him, and he was just like, bitter and mad. And God confronted him and said, hey Cain, Cain, why is your, uh, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? And Cain's snarling. 
letting that seed of bitterness just root. Have you ever seen somebody, been around somebody that's got that and they just, they will not let it go? How many of us have had seasons in our life when we're the same way? When we're just ticked off and angry and it's like, yeah, I got a chip. Come on. Come on. Let's go. I dare you. Right? Let's get off our high horses and say, oh yeah, all them people out there, man, all them people out there, they're just, they're just so worldly. They're just so, yeah, but we're people. Amen. Cain's attitude. And God says to Cain, Cain, look, your countenance has fallen, but Cain, if you, if you do well, if you, in a way, repent, you'll be accepted, it'll be fine, it'll be good. But what did Cain do instead? He let that bitterness take such a hold, he wouldn't let it go until that ideal that he had in his brother Abel was done. And he killed him. But this is the opposite reaction. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and almost like children. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles in verse number 37, Brothers, what shall we do? They're saying, we don't know. Please help us. We're convicted. What do we do? And Peter said to them, here's what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone, who come, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. You know what we also are? We're people of the truth. We are people of hope. And we're also people of the Spirit. We can talk and we can argue about what the gifts of the Spirit are today. Like, dispensationalism and did this end, did this begin, or what is this and what's active and what's not. We can talk about that, and that's fine. But one thing that's non-negotiable is if you miss the gift of the Spirit, you've missed everything. What is the gift of the Spirit? Well, it's quite literally that. When one soul repents and turns to Christ and said, I don't have anything to give. I don't have any leg to stand on. God, what shall we, what do I need to do? Repent, okay, I believe it. And I am baptized. Well, then what happens? And you shall receive the what? What does it say right there in the Scripture? We, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing I can do to get it. I can't scream loud enough to get it. I can't do works great enough to get it. I am unworthy of the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you as Josh Westmoreland, that's not you are unworthy. I am unworthy of the Spirit of God. But Jesus gave me that. He gave me the opportunity to be a person of the Spirit of God. By the way, that's for everyone. All who are far off. You know who that is? That's you and me. That's everyone who was deemed unworthy by these Jewish people. That's all these people. In verse number 42, and they devoted themselves to the... Oh, by the way, you know how many people were saved that day? Look in verse number 41, you see that? 
So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day how many? That's a lot of folks, right? Could you call that revival? Wouldn't you love to see that? In verse number 42, they devoted themselves, and I won't go into all this, but let me just say this right here because I'm going to get into this next week. We are people of the truth. We are people of hope. We are people of the Spirit. And we are also people of people. Nobody told them to do this. Nobody said, well, let me tell you what Hebrews 11.25 says. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as matter some is. Wasn't no Hebrews written in. Nobody said no, there were no church. There were no. Uh, the, there was nobody to teach them except the apostles. There was no written documents that said y'all need to all get together now. They weren't. There wasn't a pastor. There wasn't a teacher that was trying to compel them and say y'all get together in these groups now. Though they just started, and they got together and they started eating with each other and praying with each other and confessing to each other, and it was this. This ama- you, ever seen a, um, you ever seen a young couple fall in love? You ever seen that? Right? And it's like, you know, they, they, just can't, they just can't get enough of each other. They just want to be around each other just all the time. They're inseparable. And, you know, it's so funny. You have some guy that, you know, he's got his, he's got his brothers, he's got his homies, he's got, you know, his people that, man, yeah, we're, we're a squad, right? But the minute some girl catches his eye, guess what happens to that dude? He gone. He's just gone, right? That's what happened here. All these people that felt the weight of religion, all these people that felt the weight of you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you can't be in our religion, you're not one of us, you're not pure-blooded, you're of this race, you're of that race. All these people who were pushed out by religion were let in by Jesus and they were like, ha, this is amazing! What do we do? I don't know. Well, let's just get together. Let's just, you want to eat? Yeah, let's talk about this, how amazing this is. And they couldn't stop. So they got together daily. We need people. So me and my kids watched a show called Alone. Anybody ever seen that show? Right, so you have these tough men and women who were just, I'm talking about survival experts. We're not talking about Boy Scouts. We're talking about survival experts. People that, I mean, we're talking about hunter-gatherers. We're talking about people that build. We're talking about people that, I mean, just, they can live off the land, 100%. We enjoy it. We watched it a little bit last night. But what's crazy is sometimes these people, that like, when they start out, there's normally 10 contestants. They drop them off in the wilderness somewhere, and they say, survive as long as you can. I'm talking about in bear territory, y'all. And not black bear. We're talking about grizzly territory. Right? I mean, maybe you can handle a black bear. Right? Maybe it looks all like, you know, Winnie the Pooh and stuff, but... Like a nine-foot grizzly? What you gonna do there? You know? I mean, that's scary. But these guys that will brave that, and they're so tough, and they know how to do all they, they've done survival stuff their whole life. Guess what ends up putting them out more than just about anything? It's not the fact that they couldn't do this or that or this or that. They'll start thinking about their family. 
And man, you can almost see it. I've watched it enough. You can almost see it when they start getting emotional and start thinking about their family after not seeing them for a month or two or three. Eventually, they just get to a point they cannot stand it. And they get on the satellite phone. Yeah, I'm tapping out. I'm done. What does that say? To me, it says that we can have this vision of, man, you know what? I'm just going to retire someday, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a beach, and you know, I'm going to sip, sip on lemonade or your preferred drink of choice, and, and I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to have my sunglasses on. And that sounds great for a few weeks. But then after that, you're like, dude, I want to go back to my house. I want to see my people. People need people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. It, it means the world to me that you would take the time to listen to our sermons. If, you, if you'd like to connect with us, shoot us an email at office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. That's office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. Or just come by for a service in person, 1030 a.m. Sunday mornings. Address is 1562 Mill Creek Road, Roxboro, North Carolina. Uh, I would love to meet you in person, and um, I guess that's all for now. So don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcast if you would, kindly. We pray that you'd have a great day. Uh, For Hope Church Mill Creek, I'm Pastor Josh. Grace and peace.